My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. And actually, let's timestamp this video. I'm calling for very serious disruptions in economic uh, markets in America in 2024 because we're going into an election. And let's put it this way. The government wants to light fires so that you freak out and then they come up and go, hey, if you vote this way, we'll put water on that fire and they will vote that way. And this is what one of our founding fathers said, that our democracy is destroyed um, or sorry, our republic's done once the people figure out that they can vote themselves prosperity, because then that means anybody uh, holding the, the keys to prosperity for someone can do anything they want to get them to vote for them. And that's very, very scary. So, no, I think we're going to see not only amazing problems in 2024, all I see is solutions and opportunity. And so we need to start thinking like the Chinese. Stop thinking about doom and gloom. Use the truth that's happening to go make a lot of money. On this episode of the What the Finance podcast, I have the pleasure of welcoming back Economic Ninja. So thanks so much for coming back on the podcast today. Hey, thank you. You found me in my awesome studio, my vehicle. Yeah, you're a busy man. It's always great to uh, get you. I guess you're uh, always on the go. I am. What can I do for you? What do you want to talk about? Yeah. So my first question is, uh, what do you currently see in uh, the economy? Because I guess last time we talked, it was there was a little bit of concern about, I guess, the fair driving us to a recession. But since then, even though it seems like we're always on the edge, we're always on the edge. We've, we haven't gotten there. We haven't dropped it now. We've got inflation data coming down, this strong GDP data. So it looks like maybe the Fed have gotten us out of here. So what, what are you seeing? They have not gotten us out of here. I love that question. Okay, so let's talk. Uh, I did a video earlier today just talking about Home Depot. You're familiar with the company? Yeah. A great bellwether for the health of the economy and the real estate market. And I actually read today's uh, quarterly results to the audience. And then what I did, because they use this interesting language. They're like wordsmiths, how they try and keep you on the edge, thinking everything's going to be good, everything's great, but it really isn't. And the stock rallied 6% today on news that the consumer is going soft, they're spending less money, um, they're choosing uh, their projects wisely. And then what I did is I read 2006 and 2008's earnings, both the third quarter um, earnings call. And it was amazing how they used the exact same language in 2006. And then the, obviously 2008 was really bad. Well, the GDP isn't actually good. Yeah, it jumped up, it skyrocketed. It skyrocketed because the government is pulling out massive amounts of debt. We're talking in the third quarter alone, $1.1 trillion that they printed to not only pay back other loans because they don't have the money to pay those loans back without new debt. And also they are financing, uh, factories are being built like crazy because we're about to lose Taiwan to China. That's something people aren't paying attention to. So factories are being built like crazy. Uh, and then at the same time, we're taking money across America and we're pushing it out around the world for proxy wars. So no, that is actually really bad. Then we look at the CPI and the CPI is not actually really good because if you look at the way they're measuring the CPI, they leave a lot of really important things out of it, primarily food and energy. Those are not going down. As a matter of fact, they're getting worse. Uh, in my home state of California, uh, PG&E, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, has petitioned the state to raise fees 22% for next year. So I don't care what the Fed says. And oh, here's something else. You want to talk about craziness. 
The bond market has completely diverged from what the Federal Reserve is doing with their funds rate. So you are watching in real time the government try and come out with debt. And like just the other day, the 30-year bond tail, the longest tail in history, the worst outcome ever. And then they try and cover it up with, oh, the largest bank on earth got hacked and it was, oh, the U.S. side of it. And But just so you know, and this is what's really important, the second that hack was happening, that ransomware attack, um, the bank, the Chinese bank came out and said, we just want to make sure you guys all know that we cleared all of our treasury trades. And I immediately came out and said, that's the most important thing you need to realize from this story. Because what happened later that day? Everyone's blaming Russia for it. And then the next day they came out and said, oh, it's because of that hack that nobody showed up for that auction. No, things are actually horrific right now. But what you're going to experience in the next two months is this euphoria, which happens almost every holiday season because everyone's like, oh, Black Friday numbers are going to come out. The economy's doing good. Everything's great. Let's let's pump up some hopium inside of the markets. And then you see that turn into the winter when natural gas is exploding in price, energy is going higher, and then there's going to be more conflict. So I don't think it in one bit this economy is as strong as people say it is. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's a bit of a divide between the the real economy and then I guess markets and what we see. Because markets, they're on, as you said, there's going to be this euphoria. People are going to say, oh, the Fed are going to cut. There's so much more liquidity in the system. And then from there as well, uh, maybe people start spending more money because of that. But it does seem like people are really still struggling. Okay, so yes, people are struggling. This is obvious because we see the credit card data, right? All-time high as far as uh, monthly balances. We are starting to see delinquencies tick up a little bit. We are seeing all all-time highs in all kinds of different types of debts. We are seeing an explosion in the use of HELOCs or home equity lines of credit, um, which are showing me and refinances. Even though refinances aren't really heavy in comparison to other times in history, the few that are happening are very important because we're doing they're doing it for debt consolidation. No one is refinancing a house into a lower rate right now. I can guarantee that, which means everyone that's refinancing really needs the money. So that's important to realize. Another thing is this whole Fed pivot, and people need to realize this is unlike 2008. So first off, whenever the Fed pivots, it always pivots and lowers rates after a long pause of keeping the rate steady. This is because they don't want to be blamed for any further upside to inflation. um, And they also want to always be the hero. So what happens is the first quarter of negative GDP comes out, then they lower. Then by the second uh, GDP print, negative GDP print, and that's all been thrown out the window with our current president trying to change the definition of recession. But by the second GDP print, they're already on the way down, but it's already too late. The backbone of the consumer had been broken. And that's what I teach in these cycles and the real estate cycles and currency cycles. It's all about emotion. Once investors figure out If you could step away from being a speculator and become an investor, you start to think like Warren Buffett. He trades on the emotion of the people. And you usually have a three to nine month lag time uh, between the the information that is coming out in the news and what had already happened in the past. Sorry about that. So one question I have, or one point I have, is last spring when I was talking about everything's really bad in the markets, uh, and everyone kept bringing up Warren Buffett. I said, you have no idea what Buffett's doing. Well, now we do know. The fact is, over the last three quarters, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway has been selling assets and storing up the largest cash hoard it has ever had in history. So all those people that mocked and said, well, all the big guys are out there buying, know what they're doing is something similar to what Kramer's doing. I think it's a great time to buy as he's sell, sell, sell on the backside for him or his buddies. And 
it's usually his buddies because it's too easy to track it if it's him. But my point being is that you that the, the CEOs of the companies and the big investors say one thing while they're always doing another. And you can always find that out later in history, in, in the future, or you can look back on the past. And I simply like to take a, a common thing like, will the Fed pivot? And I like to type in the time points. Ooh, 2004. Were they talking about the pivot then? Yeah, they were because they were raising rates from 2003, 2004, and they were begging for the Fed to pivot, but they didn't. They stopped at a certain point and they went straight across. And that's what's about to happen. And Powell said it straight up. He said, you know, when people get all excited after he talks and then they start going, oh, Powell's close to pivoting. He even got on, what, two quarters ago. Within two hours of that press conference, he got back on, declared another press conference, and he said, I want to make this abundantly clear. We are not, for those that are getting ready for us to pivot, do not expect it. We are not going to pivot. We are going to stay higher for longer. So even if they pause a couple times, I believe you're going to see another raise or two or maybe even three in 2024 because they can't stop food inflation and energy. See, the problem is when most people start to really panic and go, this stuff is not going down. It ain't getting any better. They start to hoard. And when they start to hoard, then you have more buyers than sellers of goods. And that's when the price goes up exponentially. And I think that's what the Fed's going to be faced with next year. Okay. So as you're saying, it's going to be more core CPI rather than traditional CPI, which uh, they're going to be worried about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, so, that, that, I mean, that, actually, you know, if you think about it, with core CPI coming in today, it was down, I believe. Um, and they're all excited. If you look at it, it's a month over month down, right? Well, that's a cyclical normal time. I mean, that's it's normal for for a core CPI to dip this time of the year. And the reason why is because people aren't on summer binge, you know, party vacation mode and they their kids go to school and everything settles down and people start to save money in the month of October going into the holiday season. So now they're going, oh, look at everyone saving. Okay, well, here's the opposite of that. Go look at Tyson Chicken's quarterly earnings. And they're going to show you that the consumer is so strapped, they can't even buy chicken. A while ago, a year ago, they're saying, hey, they've moved into chicken from red meat because they can't afford red meat. Now they're actually eating less chicken. So that is what I look at. And that's what I think most people should be focusing on. And that gives you that 20,000 foot view of you know what's really happening in the markets. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So if we you know, look at the economy. Is there the risk that what, you know, what you're saying might be true, the consumer might continue to get weaker and weaker, but you're, there's all these trends as like onshoring, you said, moving manufacturing from sort of Taiwan and China to the US. Could all these other trends actually just maybe keep the economy ticking along and keep the economy growing in, in the short term? And that, so maybe yeah, you don't so, actually see the data coming through? Yeah, I'll give you an example. Um, this is a prime example. In 2006, Travel and leisure started to fall off a cliff. And it was because everyone was tapped. Fuel is starting to run up a little bit. A barrel of oil, the price was going up. Um, things are just getting a little expensive, a little frothy. And so what happened is people stopped spending so much money on travel. We started seeing airline tickets come down, stuff like that. But at the same time, what was happening is companies like United and Delta, they were still putting in orders with Boeing. Why? Because they are reacting to six months of data in the rears. And they're going, hey, we're having a hard time, you know, filling all these uh, available people that wanted to travel six months ago. We need to go buy a plane. Well, there's this time decay or delay where they go, okay, Boeing, build us a plane. And Boeing goes, sweet, we're on it. It's going to take us like a year or whatever. And they go, all right, you're building us a plane. 
And then all of a sudden, by the time the plane gets there and the, the sales are announced, right, the contracts are announced. So that causes Boeing stocks to go up and the, all the Boeing people have jobs. But then by the time uh, it gets really bad, you start seeing contracts being canceled, right? And the deposits being lost and it being it coming out in both Boeing's earnings and United's earnings. This is my point. During that amount of time, the employees of Boeing had a job until everything gets canceled. And that's where we're at right now. We just came off of two and a half years of insanity with the shutdowns and with this uh, stimulus. And now we're at the hangover phase. Uh, we know that people don't have that much in their savings account. B of A has announced it. JP Morgan Chase has announced it. Um, we are seeing the consumer being hit hard, but right now what's happening? Well, a trillion dollars was printed in the last 10 weeks of uh, quarter three, right? <laughs> that goes a long way for stimulus, but it's actually not showing up in people's uh, pockets. It's that these orders are being made and those factories are being built, but are they going to be able to finally build a product and sell that product or that widget when this is all over? And I do not think they will be able to. But here's the other thing. everyone. When I'm right, and I will be right because I've been through two of these cycles already as an investor, the sun will come out tomorrow. And that's what's exciting to me. When everything collapses, that's when it's like start businesses, buy businesses, buy real estate and everyone else is laughing at you and you're laughing all the way to the bank because even during the great depression one in three one in four people had lost their job that means three people had a job now out of those three people two people are scared to buy and then one out of four will buy and have the money to buy and that exact same thing is going to uh, come about in this next cycle worldwide you know on top of that you don't have in any time in history of our country we've never seen us losing the world's reserve currency. The UK has went through that. But the thing is, is most of the people that saw that happen are dead. They're, they're not around or they don't have a voice to even speak it out. We can just go back to the history books that keep getting changed. But Britain ruled the world until they didn't. And what happened at the very last minute, their military was stretched super thin and their economy was stretched super thin because they were trying to help the world. Sound familiar? So that's, I think, where we're at right now. Okay. Do you, so I guess my question with that is I don't maybe see the US dollar being dethroned by any other currency. Do you, do you agree with that or do you think it's going to be a slow burn or what, what do you see happening there? I love it. Okay, perfect. So we have to define what the throne is. And the throne is the US dollar being superior to other currencies that when it goes out and offers up more dollars to the world, the world goes and gobbles them up. And that has been our ability. It's made it our ability to export inflation around the world. So here are the facts. Foreign buyers have dried up and are no longer showing up to our treasury auctions. Another fact, our, one of our greatest allies in purchasing our treasuries and keeping our dollar as strong as it is because they don't sell the dollars that they buy is Japan. Last November, Japan announced that if the yen uh, keeps collapsing to the dollar, they may have to start selling their treasuries to be able to prop up and purchase their own currency. Since, uh, what, a month and a half ago, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is. The Iraqi government came out and said, as of January, no more dollar transactions in our country. We're going straight to the dinar. That's a little weird because that might. there's already been one revaluation. And you, you just watch what happens there. It's going to be an interesting one. But my point being is there's other countries too. Uh, China has been selling treasuries. Uh, we're seeing that all over the world. So the dollar has been dethroned. But what people are freaking out about and they can't contemplate is they go, okay, if the dollar is no longer the world reserve currency, 
then there's going to be one other currency that is. That's not happening this time. The way China and Russia are doing this, and it's actually quite brilliant, they're making a ton of currencies around the world more useful than they were before through different trade agreements and, uh, and agreements that these countries will not overinflate their currency. They'll, if they're if printing more, they're doing it sort of together, keeping them more stable. What they're doing is making more currencies available for bilateral trade. You have not seen this. It's always happened, but you know, usually there's a, a, a missile shoved up the tailpipe of one of these countries so fast, their head would spin, right? We're not seeing that now. So we need to stop looking at what country is going to have the world's reserve currency. And we need to start looking at the entire economic system of fiat currency has now changed. And we're going into a different type of world now. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, so some of the transactions between uh, Saudi Arabia and China, they've actually been backed by gold. So how it works is that you... Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia gives oil to China, they give you one, and then that's instantly uh, converted into gold. So I guess that's sort of another way for them to mitigate that potential currency risk and a way to not use the US dollar. There is specific bonds that China came out with in, I want to say 2017, 2018, a gold denominated yuan bond. And that has been picking up in activity as far as physical transactions changing in gold. I have not seen that yet. I do know it's coming, but here's another important part people need to realize. Everything reverts back to a gold standard when the whatever you know currency was in charge goes to crap. And then after time, the new gold standard turns to crap. And I talk about this all the time where once a gold bug should not always be a gold bug. I believe that eternally I'm always going to hold God's money because just as a personal treasury of mine, but the investment that I've made in precious metals, because I'm waiting for them to revalue as far as not because someone's going to just say, Hey, it's a new value, but because of the shifts in currencies and power, um, that is only going to be worth more until the next fancy currency comes out. Fiat currency is never going away. The U.S. dollar is never going away. But how it is treated and how it is valued will constantly change. So that's why investors need to be in and out of, of currencies or in and out of investment cycles, things like that, businesses. It's really important to know when to pivot. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So if we go back to the, the U.S. and uh, you mentioned the bond market and how there's sort of like a diet... Uh, you know, disconnects between what the Fed is doing and I guess uh, bond, bond prices and yields. You know, we saw a bit of an increase in bond prices today, but the past six months has been a bit of a, and especially recently, there's been a bit of this disconnect. So I guess from your perspective, or oh, sorry if I put words in your mouth, but from what I'm saying, the uh, US can continue to have a large deficit as long as the yield doesn't get out of control. Is that what you're sort of seeing as well? Not necessarily. Really what it comes down to is the velocity of money. Um, I'll give an example. When the Federal Reserve started quantitative easing uh, after, after, and they opened up the Fed repo window five, four months after Lehman Brothers collapsed, right? It's been open now for a while. So we're already in that big of a collapse. So people need to realize that. But when they did, they started quantitative easing and they started essentially buying up assets and monetizing debt. People need to realize everyone was expecting a hyperinflation back then because there all this money creation was happening between the government and the Federal Reserve. A lot of money was created, but it didn't go worthless because they never took that money. They would buy the assets and hold them. And they would put them either in pension funds or keep them in these secure uh, ways to where nobody could buy and sell them. So there was no true price discovery. That lack of velocity 
of money moving around, assets sloshing back and forth is what kept us from hyperinflation. So now here is the problem. And this is why bonds have been going out of control. The Fed knows that the government is trying to to make more debt because it is insolvent. Nobody is coming to buy those bonds now. So what happens is just like the 30-year auction, they came in and they said, let's say they started, hey, we're going to offer a 30-year at 4%. Nobody, it's all crickets. They're trying to raise, let's say, $100 billion. They go, okay, 4.1%, 4.2, a little bit are trickling in, buyers. By the end of the day, the difference between where they started that offering to where they ended it is called a tail. It was the longest tail in the 30-year bond history. And I can't wait to see what happens when they start offering 10-year and the tail goes long. You see, everyone's all excited today and the last few days that the bond rates have come down. Well, it's because all of a sudden, a bunch of investors are all of a sudden optimistic on the economy, like a magic wand was uh, tapped. And those same investors were the same fools that blew up the last bubble. You know, it's just like SVB and these banks that went down in spring. One of the banks had most of the senior commanders of Lehman Brothers running that bank. So I want people to understand that the reason why markets build up and they go down are because of dumb people. The last group of people that move into a market and then they're usually the first ones that panic out are the exact same type of personality. It's the dumb money. And that's what we're seeing right now. So that's why uh, you can't just, the, the Fed can't keep this under wraps unless they start buying that government debt. And I can guarantee you this, as long as they believe that the president of the United States is the kind that will back them no matter what they do at the cost of the American taxpayer and will destroy household finances around the country, they'll buy that debt. But what they're scared of is a person that will take that office and will say, no, I know you're a private bank. I'm not going to accept these high rates. And we're not going to back you if you don't do what we want you to do as a government. That is the the conundrum that we're in right now that 99.9% of Americans and people around the world have no concept of is the relationship of the Federal Reserve to the U.S. government because they are totally separate entities. One's private, one's federal. You know, that's a, that's a great point. So if I sort of summarize what, what we've been talking about, so you think next few months, it's probably going to be quite positive for the markets. And after that is when it's going to be start getting a bit wobbly. Uh, and then we could see da- downwards trajectory. Is that sort of your thoughts? Yeah. And actually, let's timestamp this video. I'm calling for very serious disruptions in economic uh, markets in America in 2024 because we're going into an election. And let's put it this way. The government wants to light fires so that you freak out. And then they come up and go, hey, if you vote this way, we'll put water on that fire and they will vote that way. And this is what one of our founding fathers said, that our democracy is destroyed um, or sorry, our republic's done once the people figure out that they can vote themselves prosperity. Because then that means anybody uh, holding the the keys to prosperity for someone can do anything they want to get them to vote for them. And that's very, very scary. So no, I think we're going to see not only amazing problems in 2024, all I see is solutions and opportunity. And so we need to start thinking like the Chinese. Stop thinking about doom and gloom. Use the truth that's happening to go make a lot of money. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess normally in an election year, uh, I think they say it normally goes up. But as you said, it might maybe they've pushed too hard early and then they've got no more room to, <laughs> to, well, to move, move. Actually, didn't George Bush get elected in 2008? 
Uh, was it Obama? Was it? Obama. Obama. Obama got elected in 2008, right? Yeah. So the uh, 2008 was the election was in November, and that's when everything was collapsing. So if you think about it, the whole time Obama was running for president, and he used the term change. Remember, that's what got everyone excited. Well, it's because they needed to change because the economy was collapsing. And we had the year of the campaign, the, 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 like this year, the 2024 year, we had Bear Stearns going out in the spring. We had Lehman Brothers in the fall. And then you have the election. So, or no, sorry, it was the year before that, but that was when all the campaigning started. You know what I mean? I mean, everything was collapsing around that time. Uh, and then he started in January of 2008. I apologize. So I don't know. I think it's going to get a little nutty. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then in terms of, is there any particular assets that you're focusing on during this period or is it? Do you think everything yes. will be for sale? So for so I do think everything will be for sale. Actually, this is another thing. So I've got I got, I bought gold, silver. I've got crypto. Um, I've got stocks, mostly in the commodity sector. But I sold a third of my portfolio in the spring. Told everyone what was going to happen, and it did. It backed down. Um, I wish I'd have sold more, but I only sold a third because I could be wrong. My bags are all equally packed, and when one takes off, I sell off profits and I put it into another bag that I truly believe in. That's just how I invest. I'm not a financial advisor, but during a market correction or a liquidity event, everything falls, and the dollar gets strong because everyone's pushing into dollars for strength. Um, this one's going to be interesting because a lot of traders like to sell as something's falling, they'll sell, hoping to buy it back cheaper. Well, that brings strength to the dollar, which also exacerbates um, a fall in gold, silver, crypto, and things like that. Crypto falls every time we have a big stock market correction. But everyone seems to think that this next time is going to be different. They don't realize how much is tied up in derivatives and debt is attached to cryptos and those exchanges. Um, I... I'm just accumulating cash. I have been since the spring. I told people, I'm just not, I've bought a couple things on weakness. I don't care about like, ooh, I, I missed 10% upswing. I care more about buying on a 10% downswing on something. Um, or if I missed 20%, I wanna, I wanna guarantee that at least I got it at a deal. And I'm just slowly accumulating in all those uh, areas. And I'm getting ready for the greatest opportunity in real estate that I, I think we're gonna have in the next like 20, 30 years. You know, it's a great point. So Ninja, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, so my last question is, what is one message people uh, should take away from our conversation? Focus on human behavior and not on the news when it comes to economics. Look at all of your friends and family. If they don't think there's something wrong and you do, you have to remember, go back and, and realize what those same people were thinking about you or the economy back in 2006, 2007. Great message. So thanks again for your time. If anyone wanted to find out more about your work and what you do, where would the best places for that be? I have two channels, the Economic Ninja on YouTube and Real Estate Ninja, which is blowing up on YouTube right now. So that one, I guess uh, the algorithms just love more. I think people are getting excited about the prospects of real estate crashing. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like it's on the way. So thanks again for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading, and finance. See you on the next show.